Welcome to episode 65. This is Pop Cannon. We are your hosts. My name is Jordan. I'm Robert. This is Joe. Joe, your audio sounds really low. So I'm going to ask you to pump that up and say hello again. Pump it. Hey, this is Joe. All right, let's. I, we'll just take it from the top. <laughs> no, I think that was great. <laughs> it, it humanizes us. <laughs> We're just rolling into things. Um, yeah. Today's episode is all about Dune. If you're a member of our Facebook group, the Pop Cannon Collective. You probably were looking forward to this episode because you get insider tips like that. And you also get to vote in our social media polls, such as the Disney tournament, which we currently have going on right now. So you can go ahead and find us on social media at Pop Cannon. Do the subscribing and all that stuff before we get going. And now that that's done and out of the way... Let's get to our episode today. Dive right into the sand for Dune. <laughs> Dive right into the sand, Dune. <laughs> Written and directed by Denis Villeneuve, adapted from Frank Herbert's 1965 science fiction novel of the same name, Dune stars Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides. Once adapted for the screen before by David Lynch in 1984. And I would say probably not successfully adapted until now. Um, and some other people might not agree. Um, Dune is like a political thriller about dueling families and giant worms and spicy sand. <laughs> the spiciest. I would say this is to modern sci-fi what like Lord of the Rings was to modern fantasy. So it is really nice to see it get the kind of cinematic treatment the Lord of the Rings has. And I think a lot of people are arguing that this is going to be like the new Lord of the Rings, which I'm not sure about, but I am excited to see more of it. I've heard that comparison made like mm-hmm. recently a lot, too, is that like this Dune is going to be the next Lord of the Rings. And although I don't necessarily agree or disagree because I don't really have a horse in that race. Um, I do think that this movie was encapsulating and it pulled me in, in a way I was so entranced by everything that I was seeing and hearing. It really made me focus on it and really like take it in and want to pay attention because there was something intriguing about this and I've never seen the David Lynch version. I've never read the book. I've never even seen the miniseries. Uh, so I was a complete blank slate headed into this movie. Overall, I thought it was a really great film. Robert, I know you weren't really entirely sold on that. No, I, we had completely opposite experiences. (laughs) Like, diametrically opposite. I didn't have fun for a second of this, and it felt like work watching this entire movie. Hmm. I stopped it two hours in to get lunch together for me and my son, and uh, I looked at, looking down the barrel of the last 35 minutes was like, I was like, oh my God, this is gonna... And I, you know, I put it back on, and I finished it, and I feel like it finished way stronger than it started. 
but like I just did not enjoy most of this so I don't want to shit down its throat so I mean I'm going to listen to you guys explain what you liked about it and I'm going to see if I even caught half of what the fuck you're saying happened <laughs> because I'm, I'm literally reading reviews that say people had fun watching this and I'm punching myself in the fucking head going what did I do to not get that experience other than put it on at 11 o'clock in the morning and think I'm definitely not going to want to fall asleep for the first hour and fuck me dude I was like rocking back and forth trying to stay awake for it but yeah I mean visually it was incredible I know they shot it on IMAX and all of that stuff and um, there's concepts in it that I think are interesting I just don't think that I don't know it just felt very empty to me for the most part and I don't know if that's due to performance everybody's saying everybody did a really good job and like I don't think anybody did particularly bad so I don't think it's like a performance thing. I just think it's like either you're into this story and how it begins and it gets you or it just straight up fucking doesn't and you fall by the wayside and get dragged behind this never ending fucking truck for two and a half hours. <laughs> um, but that was like I just I didn't have fun. I did not have fun with it. So that's that was my initial reaction to it when it was I was texting people while it was on going like, does is this going to get better at some point? And. Nobody that I had texted that had seen it yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I do think that it's the type of thing of like, if you're not interested in what's going on, then you're just not going to have a good time because like you said, it's interesting concepts, but it's just more and more concepts. Like it's constantly building this world because it's such a huge world. Yeah. Um, right up until the, like the very end, you're still finding out new things about it. And so are the characters to be fair. Yeah. In my initial viewing of it, I was sitting there thinking, okay, this feels long. That first hour dragged for me too. But I was interested in what they were saying, like Joe said. I was pulled in by the dialogue and the conversations and I like I had to put the subtitles on cuz I didn't want to miss anything. And I feel mm -hmm. like in this movie if you missed something, you were already lost because they just keep introducing new things at you. I started it with the subtitles on. I have the subtitles on 24 seven because my kid sometimes screams intermittently. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to see what the fuck is happening. And I even put on my soundbar, which I don't really use that often, but I was like, let me make sure that I could hear this fucking thing. There's a lot of ambient noise in this movie and a lot of like deep sound effects. Like, I don't know exactly how even to describe it, but there's not that much propulsion to it. I felt like it was very quiet for a lot of this movie, especially that first chunk of it where it just like. It's, it's all talking in hushed tones and dark rooms. And it's just like that initially led to aggravation on my part because everybody kept saying how fucking beautiful this movie is and everybody's in a goddamn cave and I can't see anything. But I also think it could be because you watched it at 11 o'clock in the morning on your TV at home and not like necessarily in a theater. Yeah, I'm sure a theater experience is totally different. I'm sure, yeah. but I don't know. I still don't know if that would have been enough for to make me because I don't know for me that the story did it. You're right that they are like majorly dark scenes, but they use like it's not like there's no light in those. No, scenes. no. 
they yeah. used light pretty sparingly, but like to a really dramatic effect, I felt it directs yeah. your eye really effectively. I also think that because the scenes are so dark, it plays with your eyes perspective of stuff within the composition of the shot. Cause your eyes automatically go towards like the lightest part of the scene you know, like the brightness of one thing contrasted with the darkness of another. And then I think they were also trying to get across that vast brutalism of the empire that they're a part of. They're a part of this giant machine and they're very effective and like they don't bother to light a full room. They give you this hovering lantern that just gives you light where you need it, because why would you waste the time and energy mm. to light the entire empty room? That's true. That was, you know, the thing that I got from their little ring light that flies beside them. <laughs> yeah. Even I watched it with my roommates and in the scene where Jessica and the Reverend Mother, they're walking to the ship. And when the ship opens and there's that just wall of light that hits them, my roommate <laughs> thought that that was a door outside and thought like, oh, they're outside. But no, they they were already outside in the dark. And that was just the light from the ship that yeah. because they're from another world that doesn't do the way do do things the way they do here on Caladan is where they were. So, well, they also built sets to siphon light in where they are when they eventually go to that planet. What is it? Arrakis? Yes. Mm -hmm. Arrakis. When they get there, like they're shielded from the sun because of the temperatures and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. So the way that they in universe built their lighting systems is it's all reflected light. So there's no physical like lighting light. elements or instruments. Right, right. It's just reflected light. The contrast of being on Arrakis at midday and just not seeing any shadows whatsoever when you're outside. That was nuts. The look and feel of Arrakis as a planet, like it felt like a foreign planet. And it made me think, and again, I'm, I'm referencing Dragon Ball Z, but it made me think of Dragon Ball Z when they were on a different planet or something like that. Like the atmosphere felt different. The sand looked different. The sky was different. Like nothing about that scene felt like, oh, this was shot on Earth or this was shot on a green screen or something like that. Yeah, and that was all just really great color grading and like effects because they they did shoot it on location. Caladan, I think, is like Norway and Scotland. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure where they shot Arrakis at, but I mean, it's obviously a desert. I did I did read it, but I don't remember. I think it was in Jordan, maybe. Oh, okay. Did they film, did they film in? I don't know. I read how, it. How I did literally you forget that. How did you forget that? No, but I literally read it today because there's another one that I'm thinking of, but I can't think of the the word for it. Is it Joe? Don't. That'd be hilarious. Joseph. J-O-E. It's <laughs> one of... <laughs> it's Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi and Jordan. So, Robert, what did you think of, like, the look and feel of Arrakis? I mean, I just feel like it looked like a big fucking desert. <laughs> Like I just it didn't it didn't capture my fucking imagination, I guess, the way that it, it got you guys. I just it was a desert and I knew it was a desert and everybody was wearing things to protect themselves from how blistering the sun was and I got that. And the the whole suit 
with the moisture saving mechanism and shit like that's an awesome fucking concept mm-hmm. um i think it's gross that they have to drink their own spit and sweat but but like none of that stood out to me in any way as like wow that's fucking crazy aside from how fucking blistering hot the sun was and that they couldn't be out there because they would die like mm-hmm. that drove home and i got it and everything else i guess i just wasn't necessarily there for i don't know yeah i don't think it was the setting of arrakis like the the desert itself as much as the story happening within it like watching this anytime the sandworm was larger than life everything that the scale of this movie was wild which i didn't watch in a theater but i i would love to see this in the theater the crawlers the balloons that like lift them off the ground even the it, like dragonfly ships that I was think, cool right I really liked the dragonfly seeing ships. all of that interacting with the setting i think was what did it for me i really liked the dragonfly ships i thought that was like the coolest fucking thing and just the way that they fly like the animal or like the insect i should say um that looked really cool on screen like i really i liked everything about the that that ship that was fucking cool but i mean you brought up the the sandworms they they made it like jaws and then you don't actually see it till the very end i knew that they were like i got i totally understood that they were big and like when it swat when it shows its mouth underneath the sand and everything kind of sucks down into it was terrifying like that was cool as fuck i just i don't know why i anticipated like seeing one come out of the ground i don't know why i was in my head looking for that to happen Yeah. yeah So when it didn't, and I was just like, dude, what the fuck? And then they show that one at the end, and it looks like a, the mouth actually looks like a big fucking eye. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. So I thought that was interesting. I think um, to have it come out all the way early would have kind of ruined the anticipation of it. Yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. need that jawsiness of it. They show you that mural behind him, which mm-hmm, is a really mm-hmm. beautiful shot of its like full body. So you yeah, get yeah. the idea that like it is a worm. And then even to your point, like one thing I'll agree with is the quintessential Dune thing, which I don't know if you guys know this, but like, so maybe it's not, but it's that Paul rides the worm Mm. Um, and they don't give you that, but they, they knew they had to have that in there. So like the last thing you see is one of the Fremen riding Mm -hmm. a worm (laughs) and Mm -hmm. Zendaya Mm -hmm. just goes, yeah, we do that. Um, (laughs) So like, that's what I think, people were expecting to get but it's like no you don't get that yet right right yeah which also he doesn't get that yet because he's not ready for it and i was gonna say the story itself does not feel like a traditional film where it's got a beginning a middle and an end no and this movie is not like if you're not into sci-fi this movie is not for you at all like my parents would despise (laughs) this film one of the major criticisms that I think is coming against this that, like you said, there's not a beginning, middle, and end. And there's not really a conflict that the main character overcomes. They gave him the climactic battle to prove himself to the Fremen, but that conflict didn't even arise until right before right it was resolved. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> It's really just him running away and you being introduced to the overarching conflict where like I said in the beginning that this could be a modern Lord of the Rings, but each Lord of the Rings movie, while it's it serves an entire mm-hmm. story over those three movies, each movie tells its own story. Right. It 
to an extent closes that story. Um, but I don't think that happened here. Um, it felt like a really long prologue. Right. Yes. The big question right now is, are they going to get greenlit for a sequel? Yeah. Which it's making yeah. money and I have no doubt that it will, but it's a big risk to put this out. And if they didn't get a sequel, it's just there. And yeah, this movie, if you don't get the full story is not nearly as good. It's really just, it would end up just being a tragedy. If there's, if there's not a continuation yeah. of this, this film effectively makes zero fucking sense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And Cheyenne even said it when we were watching it. She turned to me and goes, if this movie doesn't have a sequel, it's worthless. Awful. Right. Like it's yeah. like legitimately like yeah. this movie builds up the promise of a payoff mm-hmm. to all of those threads that it has currently going. And quite frankly, like if this does not get a sequel, I'm going to feel like it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And he, he writes a check right off the bat by saying part one in that title card is yeah. the first thing you see. So it's like, I want to make more of these. And I, I think it's on legendary for not like when they signed on mm-hmm. saying, we're going to make this whole series. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason why there's no reason why with the amount of time off that a lot of these studios have had and haven't had to dump money into distribution the way that they had to previously that they don't have a big fat stack of cash that they could have been like you're getting a second one no matter what so plan on it (laughs) right you know and i feel like it's ballsy of him to make this movie without the promise of that one but like you said putting part one in the title card at the beginning was nuts on the table like Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is we're intending to continue this beyond what you see here, which I appreciate. But if he doesn't get it, uh, it's going to look it's going to just be like such a fuck, a huge fucking swing and a miss, I feel like. Oh, yeah. And then and then the IP is not going to get touched again for another 20 years. I'm optimistic. I think the movie warrants a sequel for sure, considering, like you guys said, the time and the caliber of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I thought this cast was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I don't know. It's a star-studded There's... graveyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really liked Oscar Isaac in it. I think he was oh, yeah. probably my favorite performance of the film. I really? agree with that. I, I've, when he ceased to be on screen, I felt myself caring significantly less about what was happening. Uh, and I knew like from the beginning that he's definitely dying. There's no fucking way around that. He has to in order for the hero to have to be pushed into the journey. But I really liked all of his work in this. And I thought he was fucking magnetic and fantastic. He stole every scene that he was in. And beyond that, I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. I attached myself emotionally to the wrong person. (laughs) I love that he... The character, too, is just so intriguing that he's benevolent in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's an invader by all accounts, but he's also not in denial of that. Right. And he's extremely respectful as much as he's able to be. Right. And he's not, like, he's not threatening anybody, really. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? He's it's not- a very corny line when he says, uh, if you're not the king, then you'll be all I ever needed you be, to be, which is yeah. my son. I and it's like, like oh. a really cheesy line, but it hit because yeah. Yeah. Oscar Isaac is a talented actor. Like, oh, wow. That's such a nice 
thought. But you, that's sweet. you can imagine like another actor saying that and it just being like, Ugh. yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But Oscar Isaac and Timothy Chalamet, like their chemistry was really good on screen. Mm-hmm. And I believed them that they were father and son. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was a great scene. Oh, yeah. And then and it's it's opposite to every other father son thing that's ever been in any sort of <laughs> media. Yeah. <ever. laughs> it was like a really nice, refreshing dynamic that they had together, just like as a family unit. The mom was the uh, the actress that was in Doctor Sleep, and once I made the connection, I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> Do you not like Rebecca Ferguson? I I did not like her in Doctor Sleep. That's for fucking sure. Um, and this, I think she was okay in this. You know, like she was like a witch or something, and <laughs> she had something going on with witchcraft or whatever that is now, because it's like. 8,000 years in the future. So whatever witchcraft becomes, uh, she's good at it and stuff. And she teaches her son because he has like a special ability to be able to also do it, even though he shouldn't be able to do it for undisclosed reasons. I felt like it's not that he shouldn't be able to do it. She was supposed to have a daughter because they're only supposed to bear Mm -hmm. daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, But she broke it and had a son because there's a prophecy that the, the, the Christ of this world would be a boy born unto their order Mm -hmm. um and he would like he would walk along among the fremen even though he wasn't one of them it's a whole thing (laughs) yeah yeah i thought she did well portraying that kind of conflict between her family and her i guess not profession her creed her coven yeah and i was really interested in how they manipulate the politics of this world yeah, yes. they were involved in some other conversation, and I was like, wait, she's not part of Oh, okay. So, like, what I gathered from all of that was, like, their group is pulling all of the strings for everyone, and they kind of have been. The Illuminati. So are they the Emperor? Um, I think they have some in with the Emperor as well, probably. Now, Joe, have you ever read the book? I'm not. It's been on my list for a long time, and now I really need to read it. But <laughs> we'll see, we'll see the emperor at some point. I hope. Maybe. Yeah, you see the emperor a lot in the '84 one, um, mm-hmm. and he just exposits at you. Mm-hmm. I kind of like him as like this faceless villain that like may eventually show up. It forced um, me to do a lot of like, is that the emperor? Oh, well, is I'm that sorry. the emperor? because they never show him and you don't know if at some point somebody's going to be like i'm the emperor (laughs) like so i'm trying to guess like who i don't think they're gonna do like a you know star wars thing with it (laughs) where they like reveal it and it's palpatine all along yeah um (laughs) i i think you will see him eventually but i kind of like not mudding the waters more Mm-hmm. Um, and just having him as like the emperor doesn't go and tell you what to do. He sends someone to tell you what to do. He's like the the back back villain of right. What's and we find here. that he's manipulating things anyway, where he's sending right uh, Atreides there only to betray them by mm-hmm. sending yeah. uh, the Harkonnens back. Oh, which like Harkonnens. like yeah, the entire thing is just some weird play to take the Atreides off the table. But speaking of the Harkonnen, Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Yeah. He that was great. 
I think he's tied for my favorite performance with uh, Jason Momoa. But like Stellan Skarsgård took a very cartoonish villain and made yeah. him actually really imposing and scary and discomforting. Mm-hmm. There was there was a moment where I was like, is he a sandworm? <laughs> His legs go yeah. on for days. Well, I found out it's not like a magic thing. Well, I guess it is. Kind it's of the thing in his back. Yeah, yeah. It's like an anti gravity device. Which there's probably a, if you read the books, you knew that, but I didn't. <laughs> if you if you read the IMDb trivia for this, there's a very long explanation as to why he has that. And I was like, <laughs> wow, any of that information would have been critical to understanding that character in any way. No, he's just creepy. yeah, but that doesn't necessarily matter. If there's going to be a part two and they had plans to Explain introduce that concept then, because yeah. that like that character wasn't even a focal point of this. No, film, no, no, I, feel no like. I don't. I'm not I'm not advocating for the fact that they should or should not have explained anything more about him. I'm just saying that I shouldn't learn more about the people in your fucking movie afterward when people write about what happened in your movie. I hate that. I fucking hate it's that. It's a double edged sword because it's based on an IP. Though. Yeah, I just can't. I can't fucking stand we, after the fact. This is part learning one. more about what happened than when I fucking visually but saw. But what's it. what's the natural way to do that? Like, Uncle, your af- anti gravity device has lifted you up to the ceiling where you hid from the gas. Like he called him. What he called him, nephew or cousin, at some point in it. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wait a second. That's so there's weird. like some sort of relation there. Yeah, because they're all houses in their family. Or his people are just very strange and they call people cousin like Snoop Dogg. Maybe. I mean, but you also have to immerse yourself into this world. You have yeah, to immerse yourself into the time, their lingo. By the time we're sitting stuff. at the table with him, I'm so far from immersed. So I, I'm listening to it and I'm going, maybe they are related. Huh. Like, but I have no idea. And then they never touch it again. So it's like, is that a piece of information that I keep going forward? Or is that a piece of information that was just a throwaway? And he just speaks like that sometimes. I guess you'll have to wait for part two, I guess. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, part two. That's. I don't know if like that's this movie is, is such a weird thing because it feels like it's half of a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's is. straight up feels like half of a story i couldn't believe how that was the fight that paul had to be in like that was the fight at the end of the film that very short wow he owned that guy pretty quickly once he focused or whatever kind of was like oh he just stabbed him one time and it was oh okay Cool. He got the advantage several times, but he yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah. stab him. Yeah. Like no, I, they, t- they they told the story physically, but yeah. like it was not drawn out in a way that like I felt like you he really overcame something. Yeah, because that dude, that dude, he fucking sharked that dude. That dude had no idea that he was some sort of royally trained fucking fighter kid. <laughs> so like that guy was like, "I'll fight that little boy. Fuck him!" And then. <laughs> Chalamet takes out his special knife that his dream girlfriend gave him and then fucking like immediately almost murked that dude. <laughs> like the only thing he overcame in that fight is the fact that he's never murdered someone before. Yeah. That was the thing yeah. that he got out of that. And that's that a was, big deal. Yeah, right. But that I was like I don't know, it wasn't like a learning experience. I think at the same time it acknowledges that 
to kill a man is such a huge thing, but at the end of the day, it's also so simple and small almost. Yeah. And I also really love during that fight that there's no music. It's just the sounds of bodies hitting bodies. Yeah. Two, if you want to even take it a step further than that and look at it, his visions, he kept seeing himself die. Mm. You know, he kept seeing himself be stabbed or something like that. To finally get to that next point, it's almost like he had to, like, kill himself to, like, move on and become something different as this messiah. Yeah. And I loved the mirroring of the vision with the end of the fight because I I really did think he would just get stabbed. But having it exactly the same but with the roles reversed and seeing him look into Jameis's eyes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see him really just with his eyes kind of say I was wrong and kind of just give up to him. The other person that I really enjoyed, I said before, was Jason Momoa. I really liked Duncan Idaho. I Even though that's pretty much, I think, what happens in the books, I wish that they broke that because I really enjoyed watching him. But they gave yeah. him probably the best final moment of anybody. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> after he gets stabbed the first time and he stands up while they're cutting the door, the guys go, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just uh, rages on them one last time. It was really, in, a, in an otherwise very, I think, serious movie, it was the most like kind of blockbustery moment. Enjoyable, fun. (laughs) (laughs) He went no. I Jason Momoa was a lot of fun throughout, and he was like a every time he's on screen, he's a breath of fresh air because he's just having fun acting. Yeah, Um, I felt like character wise, he he just he stood out like a sore thumb. Not in a not. I shouldn't say a sore thumb. I don't mean it in a bad way. No, I just like his character was like like once you hit Han Solo, you're like, oh fucking somebody sees through all of this weird shit. And then when he got to that that final fight and shit like that, like that was that was brutal and it was fun and he kind of like couldn't wait to fight them and he shut the door so there was like that dramatic element of him going banging on it to try to get through it and shit. Like I I liked Jason Momoa's character and then the way that he died for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Jason Momoa for me like brought such an energy to his performance that to the you film. just couldn't yeah you couldn't like not smile at him on mm-hmm. screen like him and like Paul interacting with one another yeah. that was like fun and refreshing because his relationship with his father is very different from that mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. relationship with literally anyone else is very different from that so josh brolin jason yeah when jason momoa came in it was like oh it's just his big brother's home essentially right right that's what it felt like to me josh brolin (laughs) was a was a character in the movie too (laughs) you think his ribbed t-shirt was a reference to thanos Ah, maybe (laughs) i didn't notice honestly (laughs) i liked the scene where they were like training together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i thought that was probably his best performance in the movie i liked the line where he gave him like it doesn't matter if you're like in the mood to fight like you need to be ready like always yeah and you could argue that josh brolin saved his life Mm -hmm. yeah does he get away or does he die he dies i I can't even remember I don't remember seeing him die, but I could be wrong. I feel like he might come back. He might have to fight Paul. 
What did you guys think about like that shield technology that they had? <laughs> It'd be awesome if it fucking worked. No, that's um, that's a thing that actually Star Wars I think stole from this that it stops like high velocity, but if you go slow enough or like if you damage it enough, it won't work. Um, there's a thing in like the Star Wars cartoon where those rolling robots they have shields mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. you rolled a grenade slow enough it wouldn't get stopped and it would go through the shield um that's a nice little star wars fact <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, star wars um, fact <laughs> but yeah i thought they were a cool effect i didn't think they were too distracting um if you watch the old the 80s dune they look terrible they're awful. Um, they should have just not done it. <laughs> I thought, no, I think like in cons, like it, as a concept, it's cool that they have a thing that can protect them. It's yeah. just like every single person that wore one got stabbed through it. And at a certain point it becomes like, what the fuck is the point of these? If everybody's getting stabbed. But I guess you got to look at it too. Like it's armor because yeah, yeah. you could still wear a chain mail and it right, still it get stabbed. pierced. So it's just kind of the same concept, just like super in the future. Right. Right. Yeah. You're just, I just assume like a force field means like there's going to be a, a, a power system to it that it's going to get worn down eventually, or yeah, you yeah. get stabbed in the neck. Be that being the only damage you take and you die. Yeah. Right. And there's another, fact that i'm assuming will come back in a later movie that the vibrations of the suit actually attract the worms Mm -hmm. so that's why they they take it away they're like don't use that here (laughs) yeah yeah um which we don't see pay off here but i'm assuming will pay off eventually but we had like the percussion the thumper uh, the thumping of of that bringing the the worms to it so like that's kind of understood i would feel like if you know that the suit does vibrate then it would make sense that you definitely should not wear it around in the sand yeah yeah i also really i always kind of enjoy javier bardem um mm-hmm. so i'm interested to see more from his character going forward but he's as much as oscar isaac is a scene stealer i think javier bardem managed to steal the scene from oscar isaac and seeing their very short interaction Mm -hmm. was also one of the highlights of the movie Mm -hmm. um just seeing these two representatives of two people like i said before conveying mutual respect but also setting boundaries and they did that a lot with just their performance not necessarily the um dialogue Mm -hmm. but i mean that scene was great yeah and of course like you don't see anything of zendaya except she's just in all the visions um so learning anything about that character is definitely intriguing uh for another yeah, movie one day. i'm watching zendaya and i was like man her performance was pretty good barely saw her <laughs> can't say that she fumbled because she was barely in it she couldn't have she had a voiceover and then uh <laughs> um she she got the i feel like this is twice now we've seen zendaya get this treatment where she doesn't really do anything for the entire movie. And then at the end, she's like some sort of important character moving forward. Um, Cause that's exactly what happened with her in homecoming. <laughs> so Everybody she, knew that though. <laughs> so she, well, I mean, but she got to just play that twice, which is like good for her for fucking cashing in on being that person. Somehow she's got typecast as like, don't do anything the whole fucking movie. 
going forward, you're going to be a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like the flash forwards or the flashbacks or however you want to word them. Yeah. Um, visions. The visions. Um, not that they weren't clear or concise because obviously he's seeing something that could happen or did happen and you're not quite sure at the beginning necessarily. I just felt like if you're having visions and you're so clearly seeing that person, when you finally accidentally stumble upon that person in real life your reaction should probably be a little bit more in some way because she's obviously playing a role in his past or future and then he sees her in person and there's not really a lot going on after that Paul, Paul Atreides the more he like kind of awakens the less emotion he kind of feels which I'll admit is not a super interesting thing to watch it was interesting when that becomes too much to bear when he's breathing in the spice in the tent and the visions are more vivid than they've ever been mm. I thought Timothy Chalamet's performance I thought throughout he did really wonderfully. I think that scene in particular really showed the mental state that Paul was in, especially because in the book and in the previous movie, there's a lot of internal monologue and voiceover that I'm grateful they didn't choose to go with here. But I do think that... Could have helped the skosh. I think personally a good amount came through in his performance, just watching for like how this experience is affecting this character. But yeah. And particularly, too, when, like, the Reverend Mother had his hand in the box, Mm -hmm. the whole point of that test was to show restraint Mm -hmm. and, like, not show emotion. And even though you're in pain, not to, like, pull your hand out. He's really becoming more hardened and more closed off, in my opinion. Yeah. I just feel like... What, 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 is she like the third or fourth build person on the on the the poster? It just says Zendaya, oh, and yeah. then you see her throughout the film in these bits and pieces and chunks. So then you know that like you're gonna see her in person at some point. So there's kind of like this build to her, and then it's like revealed that that's her, and just like nothing happened, and that just bothers me. His reaction should have been something like, fuck, I recognize that person. It's it, it just there was no. There's the recognition he knows. And he also, because of his knowledge of these visions, he knew he was going to find her eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's that little thing after she gives him the knife that he goes to stop her. And then he second guesses it and he says, never mind. Because I don't think he's supposed to kind of share those visions, really, uh, you know, for risk of corrupting them in some way. It's, it's, it's it sounds, and it, they probably took it from this, but it sounds like the uh, the the Morty Death Crystal in in his in his forehead. I guess it's kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, and like that's that's one thing that I inferred from this as well is like. Even though he knew that he was going to meet her, he didn't exactly know how it would play out because he's seeing things that could happen. And we're yeah. not even entirely sure of what those visions are. Yeah. for I mean, for the longest time, I didn't know that they didn't already happen. Um, it becomes clear later. But like, obviously, at first you're like, is he remembering something? Yeah, it's disorienting. Yeah. 
I think that's kind of a little bit of a callback to his other film, Arrival, too, where you're getting those flashbacks throughout, Mm -hmm. but it turns out in the end they're kind of disconnected from time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also like that the reveal through that final fight that the visions aren't necessarily literal. Um, They can be interpreted. So, like, he dies, but he doesn't die. Like Bible verses. Right. It doesn't happen exactly as he saw it. But you're right. Zendaya was underused. (laughs) That was my larger point. Yeah. Yeah. But, again, I think they really sold this film on the promise of it's doom. It's going to be the whole thing. We're going to do it. We just have to do one movie at a time. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see. They really sold it on it's the whole thing. But <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um there's it's a lot of heavy concepts and a lot of information and generally speaking those types of things are best left to novels. Um so I'm sure in its novel form this is that's exactly what it's supposed to be and every interpretation thereof is going to lessen and water down what all of that actually is. Cause I'm sure if you read those books and never watched a Dune movie, it would be so clear in your head as to what everything looked like and sounded like, and just everything would be so much more visceral because you're creating the vision in your brain. So then to create it for the screen translating, that's just fucking difficult to begin with. And I mean, we know of a lot of, films that used to be books that didn't do it well. And then there's some that do it fucking really, really well. Um, so ultimately once we get a part two, I think we'll have an answer on whether or not this is a good film series or not. Yeah. But up until then, like, I guess, I don't know, like I'm in, I'm in for this world that they've built. Like, I want to go back and see this in a theater in a large scale environment because holy shit, dude, some of those shots and some of the like just the sounds, I like want to experience that. So, I really hope that other people do and dig it and like we do get Dune Part Two. I mean, I don't know. I if Part Two gets greenlit. I'm like, I'll be happy for everybody that enjoyed this to, to get that payoff that they want. Cause like it's, I feel like it's really unfair if you enjoyed this film and then that doesn't happen. Cause it's happened to me with several franchises that didn't go forward after a thing that I enjoyed. So I'd be really fucking mad on your behalf. If you don't get part <laughs> two, um, I think that they should make it. I don't think there's any reason why they've like halted announcing that they're going to do it anyway. Um, I don't know that I'll, have my ass in a theater to see it uh maybe over time this will the thought of this will have grown on me but overall i don't know that you got me in a seat or that i'm buying the blu-ray to watch more information like i got two hours and 35 minutes of information i was i'm i'm good (laughs) i think to some degree i agree with both of you i'm definitely interested and i want to know more about this world i hope that a follow-up would give us more content based on what we learned here um, rather than continue to 
keep unveiling new things. I'd kind of like to just see the story play with the information we have. But yeah, I I think this is a really beautiful movie. Um, I love the subtleties. I love the immensity um, and the subtleties in the immensity. I like watching the really large scale things happen from the character's distance and perspective. And I even love how... I guess restrained they seem to be with the sci-fi shots of like the ship's point of view flying through the air. You just see the ships departing from a distance or even the spice in the air is just that very simple twinkle effect instead of Mm -hmm. some, you know, crazy CGI thing. Yeah. I think this was really beautiful and I hope that it gets to keep going. And if not, it's, just a terrible shame and uh you know it would i don't think there's any rewatchability if there's no uh finish to the story what what is the spice it's just like an a magic element uh i don't know if they ever really explained fully what it is it's just it's a natural resource it's unobtainium yeah i mean it's a better name than unobtainium so (laughs) (laughs) Um, real quick before we go, what was everyone's favorite scene? Um, <laughs> no, I wasn't. I'm not going to be a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> I thought about it for a second. Um, uh, um, I really liked um, when when Oscar Isaac was in the like the the corridor and he's trying to figure out what was it like the alarm that went off or something like that. Yeah. And he was like investigating that. And then he winds up getting stabbed. Like just that whole sequence of events was just so fucking strange. And then when you have him in the chair at the table and shit like that, like basically dead. And that guy admitting that he gave him up and but gives him the out of the fucking crusty tooth with the poison gas in it or whatever the fuck. Uh, like that shit was all that was all cool. Um, yeah. I really like that. I loved the tension that that scene uh, introduced. That was going to be my favorite scene before you stole it. Um, but yeah, the tension that they built up through that scene was great because we as the audience knew, oh, like Leto's got this tooth that he's going to try to use and, mm-hmm. and kill this dude. When is he going to do it? When's a good time? So the whole time you're just... Okay, go over near him. Go over near him. Yeah, go yeah. over near him. Yeah, I thought it was a masterfully crafted scene, masterfully acted scene. And David Del Smalshin, once again, showing up in a movie that we're reviewing that I really enjoy. So, <laughs> this is like fun. the third time he's worked with the director. So, they gave him a custom emoji, and he's only in the movie for like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he's got he's got polka dot man money now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's true, got Suicide yeah. Squad money. <laughs> I mean, other than that, honorable mention probably would have to be when they're running away from the sandworm. I thought that was that a was really cool. tense scene, and when it finally surfaced all the way, I was like, "Oh, that thing's awesome! Yeah. That thing is scary looking and terrifying and gigantic." And good lord, I don't even know what I would do in that scenario. Joe, what about you? I do love the scene between 
Leto and Paul in the graveyard before they leave Caladan. But I think, besides the ones you guys already said, I love the scene where the assassination attempt happens on Paul. With like, mm-hmm. It's just that little like mosquito robot, but the way they drew it out and the way he thought it out by like stepping into the hologram to try to trick it. And it's the first kind of demonstration of his reflexes and his kind of otherworldliness that I thought was a really tense and interesting scene that plays off in a really... A very relieving exhale that you kind of share with him, but it's also a little bit funny because the maid walks in right at that moment when he smashes it on the wall. So overall, kind of a mixed bag here at Pop Cannon. (laughs) Sorry. But we want to hear from you guys. So let us know what you thought about Dune. Uh, Did you like it? Did you hate it? Do you want some more of it? (laughs) Let us know. Uh, Find us on social media at pop cannon and if you're listening to us on your preferred podcast platform go ahead and smash that subscribe button because we would really appreciate it but if you're watching our beautiful glowing faces on youtube you could also hit that subscribe button there's also a little bell if you hit that it'll let you know when we drop new videos when we drop new videos and if you've ticked all those boxes and you just can't get enough of the pop cannon family you can follow us individually and i I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Joe for Broke. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Yezball. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JL24FPS. So thank you very much for watching and or listening. Stay tuned for our very next episode. Uh, coming to a podcast platform slash YouTube channel near you. Credits. Freeze frame.